We've waffled on for ages. We have. You're going to have to please edit this down to something sh- crisp and cogent, John. Deep and crisp and even. <laughs> yes. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the 21st episode of Octothorpe, the podcast for science fiction and science fiction fandom. I'm Joel Coxon. I'm Alison Scott. And I'm Liz Batty. And it's a special Christmas episode. Yay! Because you will be hearing this if you download it on Christmas Eve. You will. And Christmas is, you know, the most marvellous time of the year, the time when families come together, when people party every night for months, when you hit up everybody you know. Oh, no, never mind. (laughs) Where we sit alone in our houses, (laughs) saying, it'll be, we'll have Christmas in summer like the Australians, as they actually said on the radio this morning. We won't, and it won't be. And I, having talked to a lot of Australians this week about the classic Australian Christmas, I'm pretty sure it's a bit shit. They're kind of like, oh, we have roast turkey and all the trimmings, and it doesn't really suit the fact that it's 93 degrees outside, but there you go. Just have a, they have a barbecue, right? I mean, I actually went to a Christmas party, but there's nothing that puts it down on your Christmas party quite like a news alert saying there are 546 cases of COVID just discovered. Um to make you think, well, it's probably a good job I went to this Christmas party because there might not be another one. Anyway. We had some, we had two letters of comment. We had one from Peter Sullivan who sent us a um, an editorial he'd written for his zine um, and uh, talked a little bit about online conventions and, and things um, and, and kind of was um, inspired, I think, by punctuation, what we ran with Steve Davis. Hi, Steve. Um, and yeah, it's quite good. So there is a link to it in the show notes because it is available on the internet in his zine. Um, so yes, uh, everyone go and read that if you'd like. And thank you for getting in touch, Peter. And yeah, he does say some some nice things about punctuation. So thank you very much. We are glad you had a nice time. And then the other letter of comment we had was from Claire Briley of Croydon. Um, and so... I should note before I read the uh, letter of comment that um, Claire sent me a text message yesterday saying that the package she sent me was finally on the move and I could expect it um, hopefully before Christmas, but perhaps just after. And um, I said that I didn't know whether to be excited or terrified. And she said, possibly both for various reasons. So, you know, I don't know what's coming. And she did. All I know is that it's something that she hopes will be intact. And that did not make me less terrified. Because I don't know what... Uh, my guess is a sculpture made of Weetabix. I mean, I know you said, please don't send you any more. Please stop sending us Weetabix because you've got too many Weetabix. But Claire has correctly pointed out this was only a month after you told people to send you as much Weetabix as possible. So you could roll around in a massive bathtub full of Weetabix. So really, if it is an elaborate Weetabix sculpture, I think it is no more than you deserve. <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, yup, that's me told. (laughs) Claire also takes us to task for having carefully, after she had carefully sent two versions of her previous lock, the second one amended. Um, John read out the first one and Liz and I are blaming John. That's fair. I take full responsibility. Claire says, I'm writing a lock, I'm checking it twice, and then another dozen times because I'm now paranoid I've made a mistake that won't get corrected by the podcast. Well, yes, I apologise. I I would say that I'll update the version in last episode's show notes to be the correct version, but I will probably forget, so I'm not going to say that. But I just have. Hmm... Yeah, we're not really that kind of error-checking, fact-checking kind of operation, are we? <laughs> um perhaps not we did go we did go away and do our homework we did when i did a fanzine the fanzine's motto was never explain never apologize so there's that claire also notes that mark came up with a version of that christmas song um um many years ago about claire about claire which goes she's making a list and then another list, 
and yet another list that's a list of all the lists and um that does seem very organized i have not got any christmas lists yet um except for mine with presents on it hopefully everyone buys me presents yay presents I haven't bought anybody any presents. It's a real problem. Everyone's getting a little note in their card saying, whoops, bit of a cock up on the present front. Um, That's still a reference that you guys aren't going to get. But thank you for your letter of comment, Claire. Last episode, we have some hot takes on the um, Hugo Award for Best Interactive Experience, which is something that has been um, promoted and proposed by uh, Ira Alexandre. Um... And we, we had not read the 40,000-word report that accompanied the proposal. And so we were coming from a place of um, what we reckoned in the true Michelin Web style. Um, and I will put a link to that sketch in the show notes. Um, but now we've read it. Well, I think, to be fair to us, we were actually bouncing off Discon's announcement of the best video game, Hugo, which now I have read the full uh, proposal for the best interactive video game, no, best interactive experience of video game, Hugo. They're not the same, actually. Um, so I thought it was interesting that Discon had chosen to implement this. And I presume that part of it was because there was quite a lot of uh, general debate and discussion over having a, a Hugo for best interactive experience of video game. But they've chosen to implement it in a different way. And I'm not sure we've actually seen what their definition of video game is going to be because it's a special Hugo, so you don't have to have it in the constitution yet. So I'll be interested to see where they differ. Yes. So this, I think, this I think um, is a, a very good point that we we were discussing before the show and i think i think having read the um dc nomination i think several of the criticisms we were applying that are not um problems with the award as ida alexandre has has proposed it i think are more of a problem with the way that dc has proposed theirs and um i think that is an interesting choice um because i think it's difficult if if someone has if someone has kind of proposed a category and has done an awful lot of work to demonstrate why it would be viable and why a lot of criticisms are not valid, then introducing a test category, which is slightly different, is very unhelpful um, in some ways. Um, because if it works, great. But if it doesn't work, it'll be very difficult to disentangle the extent to which it didn't work because DC changed it versus the extent to which it didn't work because it was inherently unworkable. Yeah, I'm, I'm just going to fact check myself because uh, live fact checking on the podcast, because having said, I don't think I've seen Discon's full proposal. I have realised Discon have got the full proposal and wording out there. Um, I think it's interesting in that, um, yeah, a game, so the defined game is a work wherein player choice, interaction or participation significantly interacts the narrative play, meaning or experience, and the game is available on personal computers, basically phones, PlayStation or Xbox. So, I mean, it would definitely be possible to interpret that as saying that in their definition of game, they have included, say, uh, Black Mirror Bandersnatch, which I watched through the Netflix app on my PlayStation, for instance. So it might be that in trying to limit it, they have inadvertently um, included a lot of stuff that would be in the best interactive experience or or game, Hugo, anyway. Hmm. And also, given how many of us have been playing tabletop games but via outlets like tabletop simulator or um tabletopia then in a way they they would also count yep table like tabletop simulator um is available on personal computers and um any mod written for that i would argue is a substantial modification of tabletop simulator and so i don't really understand if what they want to do is limit it to video games the way they've written this spectacularly does not do that and i don't understand why they wanted to limit it to video games given that i think the original proposal was a lot more elegant so i I think i agree with you on that i have been thinking about interactive experiences because i suppose they do mean things like bandersnatch but i was thinking well what are the interactive experiences that might be relevant and it struck me that things like secret cinema which have nothing to do with things that you do on a computer um are the sorts of things that feel like interactive experiences that that might come within a broad scope i i don't like 
the idea that you're going to have proposals that say you that talk about the way you engage with the material it's a bit like saying that novels only count if they're on paper which of course we did have with with certainly with the fan categories for for some time and and i it all seems quite complicated and i'm interested in seeing how it comes out i did I did feel that the 40,000 word document went some way to answering my concerns, but also that its response to, well, nobody can afford to play all the AAA games was, oh, but half the things that come through as best games of the year are not AAA games. The other half still are. And... um and you can you can go and watch Let's Plays, but Let's Plays are, I think, by their definition, non-interactive experiences. Um, so I am not completely I'm not completely convinced that my concerns here were answered. But obviously, what we're going to see is the category shaking down when the Hugo voters get to have a go at it. And the, I would have thought that the Hugo nominators and voters are quite clever at actually making sensible choices in all of these things. And we've seen that in lots of other categories. Yeah. So I was just going to say that you mentioned uh, secret cinema, whereas in fact, um, uh, I think more, maybe more, even more relevant to that is the one they do mention in, in the document, which is they pull out sleep no more, uh, the interactive punch drunk theater experience based on Macbeth. Um, and I, I haven't seen that, but I have seen The Drowned Man, which is an interactive uh, adaptation they did over the post office, old sorting office in Paddington, um, where, you know, you're all you're all masked up and you get to choose which bits of the story you follow. And everyone who does it will have a slightly different experience. And some people will have experiences that aren't possible for other people to have. That feels very much like the sort of interactive experience that would be in here. I'm not I've not been to any of the secret cinema things because they're really expensive. So I'm not sure how they compare to that. The Discon 3 definition of the category is um, a game or modification of a game first released to the public uh, in the last year. And they define game as a work here wherein player choice interaction or participation significantly impacts the narrative play meaning or experience i am not convinced that secret santa does have a secret santa i'm not convinced that secret cinema has that feature because at the end of the day you are watching the film and the film will be the same regardless of how people engage with it in the cinema so so i don't think my understanding is not that secret cinema would qualify unless secret cinema does show films like clue where the endings are different and the audience has a meaningful chance of impacting them but that is not the impression i've had the the watching a film bit of secret cinema has been getting becoming a smaller and smaller portion of the overall experience over time it's the experience that's interactive and the film is one part of that and i haven't been to secret cinema either so obviously i'm slightly talking from talking rot here but you know I've talked to a lot of people who have. So none of us have done our homework on this one, but our homework would have been expensive. Well, we didn't. In our defence, Alison has only just mentioned it, so there's yeah, no yeah. way we could have researched <laughs> it. Um, but the other thing I will say is that... But the other thing you said was about how you were uncomfortable with... Um, splitting this off in terms of how you engage with the work um because obviously the category basically in in the um in the games hugo uh proposal it defines what an interactive work is and then it explicitly disqualifies interactive works from being nominated from other categories and introduces a new category for which they can be nominated and i don't think i see your point about how it's a bit like mandating that a novel has to be on paper but i think that the argument that the, the, the panel make is that um, interactivity does fundamentally offer a different narrative experience to more linear um, forms of storytelling like best dramatic presentation or best novel. Um, and so it is necessary to split that off. Sorry, that's not the distinction. The distinction I was making was between board games and video games. I, I think it is, or, you know, I feel like a fighting fantasy book is the same, is inherently the same, the same sort of experience as the fighting fantasy video game played on the iPad. And 
I, I think I'll defend to the death that they should be in the same Hugo category. And there is not a Hugo category for games that are not played on computers. Yes, no, I agree with that. So why why have they eliminated? Why have they said, oh, it has to be on a computer to count? I'm going to let Liz come in after I've said this. Sorry, Liz. Um, I I think so. My take is I agree. I think board games should absolutely be in this category. My suspicion is that it will be a bit like short films in best dramatic presentation short form where they're technically eligible, but they never get nominated because TV shows dominate. I suspect the same thing will happen here, which which I will be grumpy about when it does inevitably happen. But I do think you are right that they should be eligible, even if the electorate does not end up nominating them. Yeah, I think I feel, I mean, I'm basically willing to give them lots of leeway because this is a temporary Hugo category that can then be refined over time. I find it a bit weird to have a category that sort of defines all the different ways it can be experienced um, to the exclusion of some things that you think would fit. I'm also not sure if uh, including board games would mean that board games don't get nominated because I actually think that with some of the board games that do become very popular, they might get played more widely than some of the video games. Like, I think if you were doing this, I mean, I was just thinking of uh, Wingspan, which was a board game that came out in 2019. And I think basically a very large number of board game fans probably played quite soon after it came out. And so you might see that uh, popping up if that had been eligible um, in a way that you might not for all the different AA games, for instance, because I do think people might play those a little bit behind times. Um, so I also point is if you're going to have uh, like a game or a substantial modification of a game, and that would be board games, then John, do you realize it means you could nominate Arkham Horror, the card game, basically for a Hugo in perpetuity? John is nodding. I know. I, I am aware. <laughs> <laughs> I think we should get on to suggested nominations shortly. So um, one thing I will say before we... before I, I think we should come back to this, but one thing I do want to remember to say is this is how I nominate Best Pro Artist. I go through the card games I play, looking at my favourite card art, and then I nominate the artists on those cards because they're all eligible. Eligi- eligi- oh, this eligible. is kind of like I like to burn fivers and throw them into the sea. <laughs> right, that would be eco-destructive and I will have no part of it. I send my fibers to companies that manufacture things in China, and that is much better for the environment. Oh, God. No, that's kind of like me in my quest to nominate video games in Best Dramatic Presentation long form for a long time, which, yeah, is like completely futile. I think one thing I will say is that, listener, um, if you are listening to this and thinking, hang on, they mentioned that this report is 40,000 words. Did they read a 40,000 word report? I feel so special. Uh, We did not. Uh, It turns out if you download the report, which is a horribly formatted uh, Google Doc um, for some reason, the main meat of the report is basically you could be the abstract the introduction the conclusion and like tidbits of the bits in between and i do think that in general it would have been better structured as a much terser report with a larger number of appendices to make it clear that that is really how you can read it see i think it would have been much better if it had been constructed as a choose your own adventure report where instead of having to read the whole thing all the way through it would say if you are interested in why we don't think why we think it doesn't matter that nobody could play all the AAA games, click here. If you think it, we're not giving enough credence to other sorts of interactive experience, click here. If you wonder why board games aren't included, um, click here. But we haven't actually covered that. What they should have done is structured it as a choose-your-own-adventure at the business meeting. If you would like to raise an objection along the lines of this, turn to page 27. And when you Kevin turn to Stanley page 27, gavel. when you turn to page 27, you discover a giant ice bore. And unless you can roll 11 on one die, you're not getting through. His name's Kevin. Oh my god. I want to when so this category oh shoot I've left it too late if I we've left it so we have as it turns out 11 days to write this so it is eligible for the Hugo which we're currently discussing (laughs) if we could do it in the next 11 days so if you would like Octothorpe to be an interactive experience please go to episode 13 Uh, I suppose there's a couple of ways we could go in this. Um, 
I will mention that one thing I was quite pleased with is part of the argument for why we need a video game, Hugo, uh, specifically, is that Worldcons have had increasing amounts of game-related program. And I will note that this peaked in 2014. Um, the fact that I was involved and we had Esther McCallum Stewart involved, and I guess we also had Alison involved since we put a big games tent in your space, uh, may not be coincidental to why there are so many, so many games items. Which I actively encouraged, I should say. Yes, you were very pleased to put the big, big, a big tent in your space. And, and, and Steve Jackson was there and, oh yeah, it was cool. So it, yeah, it was good. And I, if, if that means people think actually there's more appetite for video game Hugo than there would have been uh, in t- 2006 because more people now see that at Worldcons and people associated with games feel that Worldcons are more their thing, then I'm pleased to have played a tiny part in that. And I, I should say, this is a good point to plug the 2014, 2014, the Glasgow in 2024 Worldcon bid, which is, of course, chaired by the aforementioned Esther McCallum-Stewart, and which I'm now actually a member of the bid team. So, yeah, go, go Glasgow. Um, for, no doubt, good content related to video games and interactive experiences. Is that... So I, I must admit, I skipped past some of the graphs. But does that mean that Dublin 2019, with Steve Jackson as a guest of honour, had less game-related programming than Luncon 3 that had no game-related guest of honour? No, so the caveat to that is that there are, I think there are some game-related program items that they probably couldn't track specifically in, uh, I think, some of the later ones because they were running their like, uh, interactive sessions and sign-ups through a different system and they may not have captured all the game sessions that were running. It may also be that we had things technically tagged as gaming sessions. You know, we may have had more things saying, okay, this is a formal two-hour gaming session in the games tent that didn't get into the program for other years. So I'm not sure we actually had more than 2019. Okay. I think it's also true, though, that there is more gaming at London and Dublin and Helsinki than at the US Worldcons, where... You, you, U.S. Worldcon attendance is more homogenous. It, it's more geared towards older s- literary science fiction fans than European Worldcons are. I think this is true, but they do say the same thing was probably true for 2018 and that they're not sure they've managed to track all the game sessions. So 2018 also may have been an outlier. I don't know because I wasn't there. But this, this Hugo, I mean, it might end up being going to a game that's just good to play but i think it's going to go to a game with strong narrative i think there's a real push in what it's talking about and why it thinks it's appropriate for a hugo that actually the hugos are the awards for uh, you, you know our speculative fiction genre and and the argument for having a an award for video game or interactive experience is because of the because it is a way in which stories of speculative fiction are told. And I'm I'm not, you know, I, I, although it's perfectly possible that, that the Hugo would be won by Tetris or, or some 2020 equivalent of Tetris, it feels to me remarkably unlikely that that will happen um, and that there is going to be something there that's about the world building or the narrative or something that is beyond just fun play and some of what is going on in gaming tents at conventions i would argue is just having fun playing games without building a a deep and consistent and coherent narrative we don't have a hugo for best bar is what i'm saying we should do obviously and the campaign starts here (laughs) yes um I I think there are two things I really liked about this um proposal um which is firstly the way that it uses the way that it points out that the Hugo Award is the way that was first recognizes what's happening in speculative fiction that is worthy of recognition and that they make the point that Wusfus, as a membership, is interested in games and that games form, at this point, a significant and big part of what Wusfus considers to be speculative fiction. And the way they approach that is kind of demonstrating that that is being discussed at Worldcons and things like that, but also discussing it in terms of these are people who we know are in Wusfus and they are talking about and making games. So like um, N.K. Jemison and Mer Lafferty are two of the people that are specifically called out in the report. The other thing I like is that there is a mention in the report um, 
of a collaborative role-playing game um, which they kind of use to call attention specifically to um, the idea of collaborative and interactive world building and using that as a way of forming a narrative and the game that they highlight is a game called microscope which i now really want to play Um, but there's a really interesting section called interactive world building in the report they also mentioned dwarf fortress which i think is a remarkable remarkable game of of building building things out of stuff that doesn't doesn't exist before you start playing the game I read an article by the lead designer of Arkham Horror the Card Game, which as long-time listeners may know I'm a huge stan of, um, and and the lead designer, MJ, wrote a blog post in which they discuss um, the interaction of narrative and ludonarrative, and I'd not heard the term ludonarrative before, but ludonarrative is the emergent narrative you get from playing the game versus the narrative which is dictated by the narrative that has been written for the game and and they talked a little bit about the importance of the interplay between those two concepts in well explicitly in board games in in their example but i think the same applies to video games and i I will post that link in the show notes because i think that is also a very interesting thing to think about when you're thinking about um why this hugo would allow you to recognize forms of storytelling that the rest of the hugos don't currently recognize I, I think this is probably a point that is made in the in the report, but the we use the Hugos as a way of the community, not merely by the award, but also in what is nominated, surfacing what is good and what is worthy of our attention. And it feels like games as the largest entertainment genre are clearly worthy of our attention in terms of the money we spend on them and it seems un- it seems likely that science fiction fans are spending at least as much money on on games as everybody else does that they are a big part of our entertainment life and it seems it feels to me that there is an argument that the that the community should be starting to build this consensus of what is good i w- i would add that actually um, thinking of it in terms of narrative um, helps with one of my small problems with it, which is that because interactive experience or game covers such a wide range of things and you could be asked to judge a shortlist, which is, you know, an, an interactive, uh, essentially an interactive TV show or, uh, you know, a video game that's sort of an indie narrative game versus maybe a more traditional AAA game and RPG versus you know, a load of different board games. Just you can be asked to judge between lots of different things in a way that you maybe don't in most categories, apart from best related work where we just throw everything in. Yeah, are they really more different than Ansible and Outworld 71? Or 72? What? Sorry. I don't know what Outworld 72 is, Alison. It's a massive, massive labour of love um, compilation fanzine that has just appeared. it would help if you could use references that people who were born after 1985 might know. It's a new fanzine! Oh, is it? It would help if you could use references that people who were born um, before 2000 might know. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, Alison, my experiences are the default and I resent any implication that they are not. Hashtag white male privilege. I, I mean, I don't think it's unreasonable to... Okay, so... so... All of our categories do actually have things that are very different in them. And when it starts to become too much of a problem, the solution is to split the category. I, I, I think, we, I mean, we do, and we do manage to give awards in best related work, which work, more or less. Uh, maybe we should save that for a different, yeah, uh, a different podcast. One of the points the um, report makes, and, and one of the things I think Alison highlighted as a potential pitfall last episode, was that you might end up getting an enormous number of games nominated in such a way that you wouldn't end up with a kind of coherent shortlist that the that the nominators had settled on. Um, the report kind of highlights that in any given year, there are roughly 20 games that tend to get put forward to awards, and they tend to each get nominated for sort of two or three awards out of the big four or five awards the report highlights and it makes the argument that based on how that clustering works in other award categories it is likely that a similar thing would apply um for the hugos and i thought that was quite well argued so i think i think they do highlight 
that. But you know, yes. Yeah, so, so take like, so take like 2017, where you could end up with a plausible shortlist that was Horizon Zero Dawn, which is a fairly traditional AA RPG, uh, versus Super Mario Odyssey, which has a completely different kind of narrative while also being an AA game, versus uh, Monument Valley, which is a little indie game, versus Gloomhaven, the giant kind of RPG board game, versus well, a whole other range of stuff, basically. But you you could end up with something that contains quite a wide range of different experiences. And to me, thinking of that as in, well, I'm not really trying to assess them based on every different criteria, but if I'm trying to assess them based on what I think gives me the best science fiction or fantasy like narrative experience, then that makes that, I think, comparison a bit easier. I mean, it's easy anyway, because obviously in 2017, I would give it to Horizon Zero Dawn. But assume it was a different year where there wasn't like something super amazing on the shortlist. Yeah, they do all seem like games, though. Yes, they do all seem like games. That is a very good point. But as you all know, Liz, I'm a huge Horizon Zero Dawn stan. But what I don't have is a Horizon Zero Dawn t-shirt. And I do have a Monument Valley t-shirt. Monument Valley was a phenomenal game. And if if anyone listening hasn't played it, I strongly recommend giving it a look because it was fantastic. Yeah, I, I thought I thought Monument Valley was a bit shit, really, and I I, I well, kind of feel very well. It was a good run. We made it to the end of twenty twenty. <laughs> uh, this is the last episode of the podcast. Everyone, pack up. Okay, I will. I will say what I thought was wrong with Monument Valley, which is that I have probably played too many puzzles for it, because I didn't. I had not realised there was a puzzle element in this game. I just played it through, and then it finished, and it was like, ah, oh, were there puzzles? <laughs> right okay i can see i can see i can see that and and i i feel like a game like monument valley could have worked for me but it it didn't because although you yes there was points where you had to think about for a minute about what you might do next it didn't really it, 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 it yeah. so you can actually you can actually fail to get the experience you're supposed to get out of something for a reason that's got nothing to do that's probably true of novels as well because there are lots of novels people like that i think are kind of on rails no, I think that's true. I think that's true of any medium, right? Like, if you, like, I'm trying to think of an example. Like, if you're a, there will be tropes, for instance, in TV and film, that if you're less familiar with, you will find them interplaying in a certain way in a, in a, in a film or TV show, and you'll find that really interesting. But someone who's already seen that kind of interplay done better somewhere else might find it kind of old hat. And I that, that kind of maybe gets a little bit of what you're saying like um and i will say like i would I, if horizon zero dawn had ever won a hugo i would be 100 percent on board with that because i, I freaking love played that it. is it good can you get it for the oh. ipad <laughs> oh playstation 4 exclusive oh and pc but that seems less helpful to you i'll be able to get a playstation 4 one day very cheaply won't i i mean you when i get my ps5 i'll probably lend you my ps4 and I can lend you Horizon Zero Dawn because I've got it. Um, so yes, Hispania also loves it. She'll back me up that it's good. Um, and the next one's set in San Francisco. Sorry, I could talk about Horizon Zero Dawn for a long time. We should move on. But I think that sample um, shortlist does give you a really good idea. And, and like, because I've not played much Gloomhaven, but I've played like probably enough to know where I would rank it on that list. I haven't finished Gloomhaven because it is a game that would require hundreds of hours uh, in order to finish. Um, and like, you know, uh, but I think they I think you're right that like the fact that you can focus on the narrative does mean that they can be directly compared, which is really good. And as Alison says, they are all they all they all seem like games, which is good. Yeah, and I will concede that while I think this is a, maybe a wider spread of things to compare than you might get in in best novel, it's probably no wider a selection of things than you do get in some of the other categories. Because you, you could get extremely different things. Same, you could get in best dramatic presentation short form, a five minute short versus a 30 minute documentary versus a one hour episode of dramatic television as part of a series. And we still happily ask people to compare those. So I guess it's not outside what we do anyway. It makes more sense than trying to nominate games in best related work or best dramatic presentation because I do think they are 
too much like i think nominating clipping in dramatic presentation made a lot of sense and i think in some ways that shares things in common with the things it was up against i mean I, despite the fact i'm still not sure it's an ideal fit i can see how it how you can compare it to other things with a game it's like well how do i decide whether gloomhaven is better than doctor who like on what on what metric would i try and make that decision whereas gloomhaven versus mario odyssey seems like a much easier thing to do despite the fact they're still very different i believe the rubric for hugo awards is something like um you're invited to vote for the things you most enjoyed during the year yes and i will say i've played a lot of gloomhaven and i think it's only okay but don't tell anyone because I'll be thrown out of the board gaming fandom. Yeah, we, we better not say that on the internet now, do you, or anything? But I will say um, my tastes in board games are weird and should not... I, I do not pretend that they are in any way representative of wider board game fandom. Because Gloomhaven is currently the top-rated game or board game geek by a significant chunk and... Yeah, fine. So we should actually say, so given 2020, been playing games, um, what do we think we should nominate? Because I think, I think it's obvious what's going to win, and I don't think you're going to like it. It's going to be Animal Crossing New Horizons, right? It is going to be Animal Crossing New Horizons. What do you think? Yes. Okay. Okay, okay. I, I think it is going to get the overwhelmingly largest number of nominations, and then I think it's going to win. And it has, and, and I don't think it has very much of the sort of deep narrative we've been talking about. No, me neither. That's why I'm a bit surprised by that pick. Which, in fact, is what stopped me playing it, because I basically went, oh, this is a pathetic waste of time, and honestly, I should just grow plants in my garden. I didn't do that either. <laughs> it is a lot of fun. It is lovely. Any, any suggestion that that it's a waste of time. It was very good, especially when I was using it as a form of bonding experience with my family members. Um, but what I will say is that I played the original um, Animal Crossing on GameCube, uh, and what I found was that it felt an awful lot like... Every so often you come across, especially on mobile, you come across games where you play them so you can play them, and there's no... Um, there's no um, kind of goal other than the more you play them, the more you're allowed to play them. And so there's like um, a good example of this. I used to play Star Wars Commander where you play it and you unlock things that mean that you um, have to spend more time doing things. But the things you unlock um, means that you can do the things that take longer quicker and then you can use that to get more points and then the points you unlock more things and the cycle just repeats infinitely until you decide to stop playing. And the experience I had on GameCube and the experience I've kind of sussed out from watching the discussion about the Switch version makes me feel an awful lot like it's like that. And I fundamentally don't really understand the appeal. Um, but a lot of people do love it. And as I said, I am a wrongan, So there is that. I mean, I haven't played it because I don't want to switch. What? But I mean, I did play a lot of Stardew Valley, which seems like a pretty similar sort of concept. And I enjoyed growing a lot of vegetables and so on. I think Stardew Valley might have a little bit more narrative because you do have like uh, the narrative in the, you know, your relationships with the other villagers that you can kind of unlock as you go through. Definitely not a 2020 game though. No, it's definitely not a 2020 game. I'm just saying that's the nearest comparison. So, so other 2020 games, guys. Well, that's the thing is I was looking at all these, you know, lists of best games, 2020, everything that came out. I think I have played one game which came out in 2020. So that's really not very helpful. And, and that game is um, Fall Guys Ultimate Knockout, which also doesn't have any narrative unless the narrative is that I put on a horse's head on my little wobbly guy and ran around. But that's not really narrative. So I think there's lots of things I could say might be candidates for Game of the Year. Um, like probably The Last of Us Part 2, which I haven't played because I got stuck in The Last of Us Part 1 and it's too hard. Uh, there's another Assassin's Creed game. There's a Half-Life game. There's Cyberpunk 2077, if you have a computer that will actually play it. But I haven't actually played any of these games. So I, I am told Hades is very good and I should play it. Oh, yes. That's the other one. But yeah, again, I... I don't, I'm a bit limited to gaming devices to phone and iPad and PlayStation. So 
John, have you played any games 2020? Basically, I'm trying to work out how you can get Board Game Geek to show you games that came out in 2020. I can tell you for free that I have not played any video games that came out in 2020. Um, I just looked. Oh, I was thinking of things that would actually be eligible for this year's Hugo, which means it has to be a video game. Oh, no. I think, and this is, and this draws me neatly onto why I think this is a terrible idea because I think the the um, the Hugo, as suggested by our Ira Alexandre, is a great thing. I would enthusiastically join in with uh, the DC announcement of the Hugo. They have decided to trial. I cannot nominate anything for, and I think those are different enough takes on the two suggestions that I am skeptical that the DC one will adequately stress test this from my perspective because i just think my interests are so much more in the tabletop direction than in the video game um direction but the most recent two games i have played are pokemon sword which was 2019 and jedi fallen order which was 2019 um so i have not as far as i know played any 2020 games i think this is did did you not play star wars squadrons uh i played it for like two hours but yes technically i did um and i could probably nominate that but it wouldn't be because i had thought about all the games in 2020 i had played and decided that that one was good it would be because it's not because you like it i have opinions on board games in 2020 though so you know if they ever announce a board game hugo come back to me well what what would be for your your nominations for board game in 2020 um so um in 2020 there is a um board game that was released called the search for planet x which i really enjoy shut up and sit down reviewed it and my friend bought it for me for my birthday and um i have thoroughly enjoyed playing that it's kind of a logical deduction game where you play astronomers um and i was initially like oh god this is gonna be my day job but in a board game how am i gonna find this leisurely or relaxing but it turns out it's really good because um the way you publish papers is is really nice and like there are so many interesting little ways in which the mechanics really neatly fit how astronomy works in real life um and yeah i really really enjoy it it's a bit like a more complex version of cluedo almost um in that it's a logical deduction game but it's not as luck based as cluedo and it is more space themed so it is in two ways much more up my alley um the other one i've really been enjoying it will not surprise anyone to learn is that i have bought the arkham horror expansion the innsmouth conspiracy and um my wife and i have been playing through and it is i thought the last arkham horror expansion was okay like obviously adjusting for the fact i'm a huge fan of arkham horror and just comparing it to other arkham horror products i thought it was fine um this one i am really enjoying and i think it might be my favorite campaign they've made so far so like i've also been hugely enjoyed that so those would be my two picks if i was going to nominate board game based things um and then i was trying to look up what other expansions i might have bought um and i think i can't remember when marvel champions released the um their big box expansion but i might be tempted to nominate that as well um but yes oh oh and no sorry i forgot one there's a game called artifact oh was that in 2019 or 2020 i can't remember now but there's a um a single player role-playing game called artifact which is a journaling game and i got the the chap who makes it lives in southampton and a friend of mine um pointed me out his twitter feed because he was selling factory seconds of the game and i hadn't heard of it so i didn't back the kickstarter but i got a copy of the physical version for cheaps off his twitter and um it's a game where you basically in most role-playing games that are like fantasy driven or maybe not most but like you know og og dd for instance you go on your adventure you find the dragon you slay it you marry the hot prince and you get the loot and artifact is a game where you find a mysterious artifact in the loot and you single player are given a bunch of prompts and you play a game telling the backstory of the artifact you found in the loot and i would also say that would I would highly recommend that from a kind of narrative uh, perspective. Um, and I think that would be a really good... I mean, I, haven't, I don't think it would ever make it onto the shortlist because it is a very, very small game. Um, but um, but yeah, I would also I would also enthusiastically nominate that, I think. It is a, it is a 2020 game. A solo RPG zine. Hey! Mm-hmm. 
the advent of um, cheap print on demand plus Kickstarter plus the renaissance in like um, small experimental RPGs has meant there is a, a, a large proliferation in recent times of little zines that do interesting things with the RPG format and solo RPGing or um, there are several RPGs where you play by mail and you basically physically mail the RPG to like the next player and it's kind of consecutive rather than concurrent and there's some really interesting stuff being done. This feels like the um, an interaction between um, interactive experiences and game books and fanzines, and I quite like that as a model. I mean, I like things that match up different genres. Oh, I, I tell a lie. I, I have played two 2020 video games because I also played uh, Just Dance 2021. Yeah, no, I was just about to ask, is, um, is Ring Fit Adventure a 2020 video game because i did play that oh i think it's probably 2019 let me check i'm so i I feel like it would be on fair enough i wouldn't nominate it because i don't think it's sf nor or good but um beyond that it is clearly it is clearly sf nor enough but not very oh that's true it does have a demon in it doesn't it yeah i mean almost one of the things it does say in this um in this report is that the vast majority of games have sf and fantasy content they don't all but an enormous number of them do i mean that is probably fair isn't it yeah so no ring for adventure despite the fact that again it came to prominence in so i think one of the issues here is that that unlike novels and um movies in particular games really do burn through slightly more slowly apart from a, apart from the triple a games but games do have a longer life expectancy yes i think um, that's true I, I mean among us is new for ipad in 2020 and i feel like it's it's a very convin- it's very convincing as an ipad game um but of course it's not a new game it's been around a year or two and that's not uncommon well and that that neatly segues into i think one of the things I wanted to talk about, which is the idea of substantial no- modifications. And the argument made in the report is that you can basically say you're allowed to nominate substantial modifications and the substantial modifications will get lots of nominations and the insubstantial ones will get hardly any nominations and this will neatly fix itself. The issue I see is stuff like Among Us, where Among Us is not a 2020 video game, really. It was released before that, but it's definitely hit prominence in 2020, and it has had a version released on a platform where it hitherto did not exist released in 2020. And I suspect there are people who would not realise it was pre-existing game who would nominate it, and then the administrators would have to decide, are they nominating it because they think the iPad version is a substantial modification, or are they nominating it because it was very popular this year? And is it therefore eligible, or is it therefore not? And I think this is actually a thornier issue than the um, report wants it to be. And I'm not sure the report does a good job here. Yeah, but it is in fact not a thorny issue because the iPad version of a game is just like the paperback version of a novel. And we do have prior... uh, It's not like Mythic Quest Raven's Banquet, which is obviously a substantial modification of Mythic Quest and therefore eligible in this category. That was a f***ing masterful reference. Is it not only is it eligible in this category, but I'm saying now I'm going to nominate it. And I hope that lots of other people do too. <laughs> um, As oh God. someone without an Apple TV account, are you nominating a fictional video game? It's definitely it's definitely not eligible. It's definitely fictional. Okay. It's a it's a TV show. Um, about a fictional video game that is a substantial modification of a previous video game. Um, but hopefully sometime in 2021, Mythic Quest Raven's Banquet will be released as a video game and then it will be fine. That would be brilliant. Um, it's difficult because it's sort of genre in the sense that it talks about science fiction because it does have a character who has won a nebula and is brilliant. Um, played by, um, oh, what's his name? The guy who played the senior Guauld in Stargate SG-1. Guauld. Guauld. Which one is the senior one? Hang on, though. The one that, like, Teal'c 
F. Murray Abraham. That's the chap. Hispani just texted me from the other room to tell me the answer is F. Murray Abraham. Thank you, honey. Real-time follow-up from our live stream. It's difficult because it's a show about making a genre game that therefore has quite a lot of genre like adjacentness but i don't know whether it would be eligible for the best short form hugo or not really but then at apollo 13 like there's real gray area in things that discuss the genre it's pretty it's nerdy enough i think i think if it got nominations in um best dramatic presentation short form which i'm not entirely sure it should do um i think at that point the hugo ministers would have a choice to make and i think they probably would go oh yeah this is kind of genre-ish i i would like to take us back just one second, which is, did you say F. Murray Abraham was in Stargate? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Yeah, he plays the senior, he plays like, um, oh, what's his name? Well, this is the thing, then I could search him out. Uh, Kratak. Kratak, is it? Something like that. Uh, Stargate. Oh, that's Braytak, and that's not F. Murray Abraham. That's why I'm confused. Oh, in that case, it's my... It's my fault, then. Well, I was, yeah. Who plays him, then? They look very similar. I think it's a man who's very, looks very similar. Um, oh, well, this is just confusing. People shouldn't look alike. Having just seen The Prestige, I can confirm that that's true. <laughs> Nothing good comes of people who look alike. I mean, it's very, very confusing. He, he has played a lot of different things, though. He has, just not the one I said he had. <laughs> so that's, which is an important point, which I should be brought up on. But I think me and Espana both thought it was him, so... He's a guy called Tony Amendola, so that's why I'm confused. Well, it's not him, and he's also not a ghoul, but anyway, this is revealing too much about my Star Trek watching habits, yeah. There's a website on cheeseburger.fmurrayabrahamtotallylookslikeTonyAmendola. Excellent. <laughs> can you send me that website so I can put it in the show notes so I can prove that I am not mad? <laughs> You are not mad. Um, well, I mean, you're not mad for this. Um, hang on. This is great. Yeah, but it's not really... You had a point. They do look very similar. Still on the subject of the games, Hugo. Um, firstly, um, I think that um, 2020 is, is, is possibly quite a bad year to trial this category because I think the AAA gaming industry has taken a little bit of a drubbing with COVID. The, really, the only big ticket game i can think of that's come out this year except for animal crossing is cyberpunk and i am wondering and a lot of board games have not done well either so i am kind of wondering whether this is the wrong year to try this and i do wonder whether we'll see that when the nominations kind of come in i think there'll be a i think there have been an awful lot of even more than usual sequels and quote substantial modifications and things of that kind um it is an issue with the gaming industry generally that it makes its money by selling you the product once and then selling you more bits of it. Um, that also works for novels and and TV shows and movies, as we see. But the Hugo voters have always been quite fond of original content, and I think you'll see some of that in the in the nominations in this category. I think I think we should trust the Hugo voters to come up with a good category, and it'll be good. Yeah. Um, the other thing I will say is that I think we should probably touch on. The fact that the Nebula Awards also reward games, but they reward it specifically for the writing of the games. And I was wondering whether the two of you think that will mean that there is more or less overlap between the Nebulas and the Hugos than in most other categories where they have a kind of shared theme. So obviously the, the Nebula novels and Hugos usually have a couple in common. So the thing is, there's only been, right, two... Two years of the Nebula for best game writing. Yeah, yeah it's a very new category for Nebulas. I thought it was interesting that they were doing it. Yeah, didn't didn't Bandersnatch get a nomination? So Bandersnatch won the first one. Yeah, Bandersnatch won, and and I mean Bandersnatch is kind of you, you know Bandersnatch is not interactive. It it pretends to be interactive, but it has it has zero interactive content and. I, I get very wazzed off about that sort of thing. Um, I like my games to involve gameplay, and there is no gameplay in Bandersnatch. You end up doing the same thing on all routes. It's just you can miss bits out. 
So um, the winner in 2019 was The Outer Worlds, and the winner in 2018, as we've said, was Bandersnatch. The nominees in 2019 were Outer Wilds, The Magician's Workshop, Disco Elysium, and The Fate Accessibility Toolkit. And then in 2018 were The Road to Canterbury, God of War, Rent Device, and The Martian Job. I will note that... Although there's a lot of clustering in the other big awards the report mentions, the Nebulas are quite quite different, I think, to the games that were generally getting recognition. Um, so I, my hunch is that the Hugos would skew more towards the bigger awards than the Nebulas have done. But I don't know. And it's interesting to see how different the Nebula shortlists were to the kind of prevailing wisdom in the rest of, of, of gaming as it were and i wonder if that's obviously the nebula definition is to do with um specifically the writing so it's 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 an award for best game writing not for best game so i wonder if that has a because that completely ignores ludo narrative i am very interested to see what how the community starts to write about this how other people start to what their take on this and is and whether and whether we're going to see some campaigning around this is a chance to recognize video game writers who of course you know often are speculative fiction writers or that 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 example of the writer who wants one a nebula is they would not have put that into their tv show unless they got it from somewhere and they got it from game the games industry where um science fiction writers are employed in droves so i would say the nebulas look a little bit like an outlier to me because there's many nominations from uh choice of games which is uh, a game studio i haven't heard of who make interactive fiction um, but I recognize the names as being people who already have been writing uh, sh- short fiction or novels already. So it may be that in some cases, uh, more SFWA members had played those games because they already knew the writers of those games than would be apparent in like the wider Hugo field. It would be quite wrong of me to suggest that, or alternatively, they nominated things that were eligible by people they like, regardless of whether they'd had any involvement in the game whatsoever. And that is also a risk for the Hugos, but I think less of one in this category than in some of the others. Yeah, I mean, I think it's also very new. It's clearly uh, shaking itself down, but it will be interesting to see where that goes. And if it does kind of converge with a Hugo or split apart completely and start rewarding different things. The poet laureate of the Octothought podcast, Claire Briley of Croydon, has sent us a festive poem, which we will end the podcast with today. I mean, I would I would like to say that I thought, wouldn't this be a great idea? And vaguely made a very shit attempt at it. Uh, and John mentioned it to Claire and Claire sent us a much, much, much better one. So we should really be thanking Claire not only for the excellent poem, but also for saving you from my poetry. Yeah, from saving you from the Octothorpe's cruise version of this poem, which would not have been as good, I think it's fair to say. I sent Claire a text message that said, um, we're thinking we're thinking about doing a Christmas Octothorpe version of Twas the Night Before Christmas, um, or um, A Visit from St Nicholas, which is its proper name. And I sent her that text message at uh, about quarter to... 12 on the 16th of december and at about a quarter to five on the 16th of december we received this poem which claire had immediately um been seized with the need to write um so thank you very much claire uh, it is fantastic a visit from st octothorpe Twas the night before christmas when all through the house which is not very big, but it's best not to grouse. Not a creature was stirring, not even a shrew. And there, nestled tr- snug, was the Octothorpe crew. Not too many time zones apart, but instead, together, in one giant comedy bed. With visions of festive, re- festive relaxing and rest, or board games and card games and Oculus Quest. Alison, Liz in pyjamas with wine, and John in his underpants, Star Wars design, were startled to hear in their silent night place the familiar music of fanfare for space. They all checked their phones, text and Discord and Zoom, and then thought of looking outside of the room, when what to their wondering eyes should appear but a bathtub with moose in the place of reindeer. No implausible MCU manifestation, but St Octothorpe driving his own punctuation. 
Now dash, now apostrophe, hyphen, ellipsis, on comma, on colon. Now who did I miss? Of course you're essential, both full stop and bracket. Land here on the roof and let's not make a racket. As if they were listening at double speed, there was St Octothorpe. What did he need? Can you help me? he asked. I'm in quite an odd fix. I must fill this bathtub with fresh Weetabix. The moose eat it constantly, licking and slurping. I tried them on turbinates, but can't stand the burping. We know what you mean, Liz confided, unplanned. But John turned his mind to the matter at hand. For some reason, we have a hundred to spare. A plethora. Alison, surely that's fair. I like Weetabix, but some friends called my bluff. It seems I was wrong. I could not have enough. And St Octhorpe said, as he made his escape, you know, that's the title of your next sex tape. Of course, he left presents in thanks for the food. The patron of podcasters wouldn't be rude. There's no need to list them here, nevertheless. You've all heard the podcast. I bet you can guess. The bathtub flew off as they all waved goodbye towards the magnetosphere, not quite that high. But they heard him exclaim, as you all knew he might, Merry Christmas to all and to all a good night. And then, as the moose took their ultimate leap, remember, this podcast will end at the beep. Beep.